Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Today we want to continue in the book of Malachi and I've been listening to a lot of messages, and it seems like the more I learn, it seems like the less I know. Does anybody think that way? And you're really being honest. Am I interpreting things the way you gave it to us, Lord? You see, the message of God isn't about a pastor or a Bible study teacher or a parent making a beeline for relevance in our lives today. It's about understanding Scripture in the context that it was given to the people of that day. This is the last book in the Bible. And we've entitled the message, Jacob and I, The Other Side of Worship. You have experienced one side of worship this morning, raising your hands, singing, opening up your heart to God, really making yourself aware of Jesus is present with you right now. It's even more awkward as a speaker that I'm speaking on your behalf, Father. Very humbling experience. And so I want to accurately interpret what what is God saying about the other side of worship. For some people, this is where it begins and this is where it ends. And you, you may not be able to identify Christ in them when they go to work, in their marriages, raising their children, how they give. And so God wants to alert the Jewish people of that day, the other side of worship. The last book in the Bible, the last they would hear from God for about 400 years. Sometimes you and me complain because we haven't heard from God in a day or two or a week or a month. See, the Jewish people had one of the greatest nations in the world. The Davidic and Solomonic era was a beautiful, beautiful time for Israel. They were the envy of the world. It was was the throne of heaven and the throne of earth all coming into one. The Shekinah glory of God was present. God wanted Israel to make his name mighty throughout the world. And he selected Israel to do that. And as is the custom of man, his fellowship with God seems to deteriorate if he's not careful or she's not careful. That happened to Israel. They moved further and further away from God. Just like he told the church of Ephesus, you're falling out of love with me. You have left your first love. That began to happen to Israel. To them that have been given much, much more is required. Israel was given a lot. They rebelled so much against God that he sent him in captivity. The Syrians, 
certainly took into captivity all of Israel and then the Babylonians brought Judah into captivity in around 589. About 70 years later, according to the prophecies, Israel made their way back. Many made their way back to Jerusalem, but it wasn't the same. Many of them heard about the former glory of the Davidic Solomon era. Many had heard about God delivering Israel with a mighty hand from slavery in Egypt. They had heard the stories, but they had not experienced it. And they came back and they began to rebuild the temple. And the temple was finished. But they, but they weren't free. They were still captive to the Persians. They had a beautiful temple. They would enter into the temple, but with a different spirit. There was poverty. They didn't have the crops that they used to have. They didn't have the monetary wealth they used to have. They didn't have the social standing amongst the other nations that they used to have. And their walk with God was diminishing again. And many of the people became bitter and started complaining to God. You say you love us, God? We've been hearing all about those stories, about your might and your glory and your miraculous hand, but we haven't experienced any of that. And then God rebuttals them and said, you haven't loved me. That's the other side of worship. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You haven't been loving me back. And so I ask you as a church, How was your love for God this morning? Have you been loving him back? That's the other side of worship. And then in Malachi, they they begin to talk to God and, and they begin to weep in the church and cry out for God to intervene on their behalf with the many prayers they had offered up to him. And it it didn't seem like God was hearing them at all. And they begin to complain and weep and scream and cry out, even though they were coming to church and throwing tokens into the bucket or in the offering plates or online. They were giving God their leftovers. They weren't giving that. See, that's the other side of worship. You see, God owns everything that you have in the bank, including the tithe and offering that you should bring to Him. And they weren't doing that. They were sort of tipping God, but even their tip would embarrass the waiter and the waitress. They were bringing that to the temple. And God said, well, try giving that to the dignitaries, to your governors. They, they, they wouldn't accept it. And you're trying to bring that to me? I'm Lord Almighty. My name is to be revered. You're dishonoring my name by what you bring to the temple. And you priests, you pastors... You're not teaching the people properly. You're watering down the word of God. You're letting them do that. They're not supposed to bring a lamb that's imperfect or a sacrifice that's imperfect. You see, because the perfection pointed to the perfect person that would come 400 years later. And so they were teaching the people the wrong thing about 
the other side of worship. You see, you, you think you can come into God's presence in any way you want and give whatever you want. That's not true worship. Just think about what you want from God. And then they were complaining to God. And God's saying, you're not living for me in your marriage and your job, but especially in your marriages. You're not even concerned about who you marry. We talked about that last week. You're just marrying any old guy or any old girl. Your approach to marriage is terrible. You see, I designed you, Israel, to be a light to the world. And when you marry those other people, you're marrying their other gods. And therefore, you'll cease worshiping me, and you'll worship all these other gods. Not only that, you've been unfaithful in your marriages. And, and, and you're kind of come and give this mealy mouth offering, and you're, you're shedding all these fake tears, and you're making, giving me all these prayers, and, and, and yet you're not honoring, honoring me in the institution of marriage? And then you're divorcing your spouses? How am I going to make a godly offspring if you continue in this manner? How am I going to be able to do this? This is my plan. This is my strategy. Of course, God's strategy is still intact. But from man's point of view, he's not fulfilling his obligation. And Israel was not fulfilling their obligation. So God was warning them through the prophets. But I do like, I need you to hear this in Malachi 2. This isn't the scripture we're reading yet this morning, this is kind of a cry. You can hear the heartbeat of God when he said to the priest and then ultimately to the people of Israel. And now this admonition is for you, O priest, Malachi 2, 1. If you do not listen and you do not set your heart to honor my name in your preaching and your teaching, in your marriages, in raising your kids. You see, over 11 times in chapter 2, God said, you're not honoring my name. There's more than one way to honor his name than just singing and raising your hands. He's pointing out all the other ways you honor his name or dishonor his name. And he said, he said, if you do not listen and you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, church. Listen, Israel. I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. We're wondering why you possibly are struggling. Or the nation of Israel, why were they struggling so much? Why was there not plenty to eat at the table? Why did they not have a bumper crop? You see, when you get into chapter 3, God said if you bring the tithes and offerings, he said this, it's one of the only places in Scripture that he teaches us. Jacob will be covering that next week. He said, see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and give you a bumper crop or give you that raise that you need to take care of your family or give you the resources you need so that you can give to me. He said, try me and test me. But when the, when the priest was praying or perhaps when you're sitting at the table, 
at the dinner table and praying. God said those blessings that you're pronouncing on your family or the church, Father, I pray that your face will shine upon Victory Life Church. He said he turns it into a curse. Not only that, he said he already has turned it into a curse. This was the spiritual temperature of Israel at that time. And when you go to Revelation, it was the spiritual temperature of many of the churches that Jesus addressed in Revelation. And it probably is the spiritual temperature in the church today across the world that we have so watered down the word of God that people don't know what the truth is. When you come to Victory Life, one thing we take joy in is teaching the Word of God clearly so that you can make a decision whether you're going to honor His name or not, whether you're going to give that offering or not, whether you're going to stay in that marriage or not. At the same time, it looks like a lot of bad news for Israel, and it was. He wasn't finished with Israel. And he's not finished with you. Remember, the key is, he said, if you, if you do not listen, what's implied there? If you do listen, if you do listen, no matter how you have failed God in the things I just mentioned, he will forgive you. He will give you grace. He will grant you mercy. You need to hear that when I teach the truth of God. When we teach the truth of God, you need to hear that. I want to make sure I share that. You as a parent need to make sure you share that in your household and to your kids that when they fail, God is willing and ready to forgive them if you will listen. Well, that was the predicament. And now sort of the fourth kind of sarcastic question to God and Malachi is kind of intervening between God and Israel. Let's pick up that reading in chapter 3. Here's what he teaches us, actually beginning in chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. What? How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Imagine saying that about God. Where is this God of justice? Now, they're going to get what they asked for. He said, see, I will send my messenger, think about John the Baptist, who will prepare the way before me, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, think of Yeshua, Jesus, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Hmm. Now they're thinking they want this, but then he goes on to tell them, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he would be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. 
then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Then, so I will come near to you for judgment and I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and against those who fraud labors of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Father, please continue to teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was a good introduction, meaning that I needed to set the table for you because we need to honor God when we read the Word of God. We need to make sure we interpret it in context and quit making a beeline for the future or for the far future. This is a Jewish book. It is Jewish authors with Jewish prophets with a Jewish Savior, and we need to understand it in that context and not try to immediately say, oh, this applies to us. There are so many things that we can glean from these truths that he spoke to those listening. We can do that and not do it in error. But this morning, I've entitled this message, Be Careful What You Wish For, On the Light Side. A married couple, both 60 years old, was celebrating their 35th anniversary. During their party, a fairy appeared to congratulate them and grant them each a wish. You ever wish that? You could have a wish? Well, the wife wanted to travel around the world, and the fairy waved her wand, and poof, the wife had tickets in her hand for a world cruise. Next, the fairy asked the husband what he wanted. He said, I wish I had a wife 30 years younger than me. So the fairy picked up her wand and poof, her husband was 90 years old. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Some people create their own storms and then get upset when it rains. Sometimes God will give you exactly what you wanted just to show you it's not at all what you needed. Well, I want you to look at three things, what you wished for, and what you wish for you'll get, and what you wish for you really didn't want. Has that ever happened to you? You, you, you really wanted something so bad, then you got it, and you go, oh, my goodness. It's like someone winning the lottery. I wish I could win the lotto. And we've all heard the statistics about those who win the lotto, how it changes their life for the good, no, for the bad. I know many prayed that they would have twins. <laughs> they got what they wished for. It's a chore. It is a chore. Okay. As we begin uh, this message, I think about what Israel was wishing for. And the first thing I notice in verse 17 of chapter 2, he said, you have wearied the Lord with your prayers or 
in this case, he said, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Have you ever had a child or a grandchild when you're trying to hold the conversation? Mama, 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 mama. I mean, they go on and on and on. I'm, I'm talking about not five times, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, 30 times. And you just want, where's that fly swatter? But you hold your cool in front of all your friends. That's, that's kind of what God is saying. Israel, you're, you're nagging me. But now, we can't weary God. We know that. It's speaking from a human standpoint of view. I think it's anthropomorphism. It's an anthropomorphism. Were you, were you impressed with that fancy word? <laughs> I had to work at making sure I knew how to pronounce that. You can't weary God. But they were not living for God as I just laid out the foundation of their hearts, they were not worshiping God, but they were coming to the temple and they were pouring out their prayer requests, they were giving their cheap offerings to God and they were flooding the altar with tears and they were moaning to the priest how little they had and, and, and they were wearying God and yet he had been communicating to them for years and years and centuries what kind of God he is and what he expected of them. I hope that's not your situation right now, that you're wearying God with your request, but your heart is far from them. God delights in answering the prayers of those hearts that are completely his. That's the other side of the coin. Make a beeline to please God. And I, I rejoice when I get in my office all alone, I say, God, my desire is to please you. It is, isn't it the most sweetest place to be in the whole world? There is no sweeter place that I know of as a believer. And I kind of went through some of the things with God about the things I enjoy as a human being. And I said, God, there's no sweeter place than to hang out with you, enjoy you, and be right with you. And you wonder why you don't just camp out there forever, right? It's the most sweetest place to be. So I, I pray this morning you're not being like the Israelites, wearing God out with vain words and vain prayers because your heart's not right with them. And that was the case of the Israelites. They were just pouring out their hearts to God, but they didn't really mean it at all. It was just what I call, there's a song. I don't know the name of the whole song, but I don't want just to just go through the motions. Anybody heard that song? I don't want to just go through the motions. Remember that song? Well, I used to sing, guys, and I told Jacob when we kind of switched roles, I want to start singing back there again. No way, he said. My wife said, no way. I, I, I used to sing all the time. I took lessons. Somebody said, well, what did you do with the lessons? You should have done something else with them. Second thing I see is, so they wanted God's ear, you know, they were wishing, I want your ear, God, I want your ear, we're in deep doo-doo here. Please, we, we, need, we need you to intervene on our behalf. Get us back to that former glory that we had and that we read about and that we heard about during the Davidic Solomon era. That's what we're hoping for. In fact, all the prophets told us that you were going to do that. When's it happening? Not only that, it seems like, let's read Verse 17b, it says, all who do evil, now they're saying this about God, all who do evil 
are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Where is this God of justice? Can you imagine? You, you want the favor of God, and you're telling him you're bad? You're not good? And yet they want God's favor. You want God's favor upon you. I pray for favor upon my family and my kids and my grandkids. But if they're willingly rebelling against God, how am I going to have access to God's favor upon them if they're rebelling against God and they're doing evil? They were wanting God's favor, and they were sitting in judgment of all the other nations, and they were calling them evil, and it seemed like God was blessing them, and they were calling themselves good. They were setting themselves up as the judge of the world, and they were saying, God, you're not blessing us, but you're blessing everyone else around us. That's what they were saying. Now, they wanted God's favor. They wanted God to bless them. But you're not going to get blessed or get God's favor by calling him evil. And they were wishing for justice. Notice in verse 17. They wanted God's ear, they wanted God's favor, and they wanted God's justice. That's what they're wishing for, right? In verse 17b, now c, he said, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? They see everybody prospering from their viewpoint, but them. Even the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians. How come we're not being blessed like all the other nations of the world? And they were sitting in seat of judgment over all the world. Now, they wanted God's justice. They were wishing for God's justice. You see, they couldn't do that, and neither can you, because we have incomplete knowledge of what God's up to. So in order to understand that, I would like for you to turn to Psalms 73. I believe this is necessary to read this, because I think it will help you very much understand what God's up to in the nation of Israel. But even today, when we look at all the corruption around us, and we wonder why the worldly people around us are prospering, and sometimes we want justice. Well, God, it seems like you're blessing them, and, and yet we're not being blessed. That was the attitude of the Jews at that time. Everyone else is being blessed but us, God. Their crops are going. They have a bumper crop. They've got a lot of material wealth. They have silver and gold. They have beautiful tents and great clothes. And, and yet we don't have those things. 73, through, through the psalmist, helps us understand something about judgment. And I believe you like this. This is a psalm of Asaph. He said, surely God is good to Israel and those who are pure in heart. Now, he said, but as for me, now this is a great, great saint, one of the psalmists, and here's what he's saying. He said, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. 
For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's kind of telling you how he's thinking. He's telling you how a lot of the Israelites are thinking. And probably how a lot of us think today. Why are the people prospering? When I love you, I serve you, I worship you, and I barely have two nickels to rub together, or my prayers are not being answered. I haven't gotten that promotion. I haven't gotten that job. I haven't gotten what the things you've wanted me to do, God. And I'm looking out the, the, the windows of my eyes, and it just seems unjust. I want you to bring justice. I serve you. I love you. Would you destroy them and bless me That's kind of the attitude the Israelites had. So he continues. He said, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their calloused hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths they claim to heaven, and their tongues take possessions of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. And here's how Israel felt. This is how you may feel at times. This is how the psalmist felt. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. I want to stop there. Have you ever felt this way? That you have not prospered like the people around you in your neighborhood? Like the people you went to school with? like the people in your workplace, and yet you felt way better, even superior than all those lost people, and you're wondering why you are not being blessed. Maybe you go, maybe you need to go back to chapter two. Is it possible that God is cursing your blessings and your prayers that you speak are already cursed because your heart is not right with him? especially about the things that he has divulged in Malachi, and you're wanting justice. Ooh, do you really want justice? Do you really want God Almighty to bring justice upon you like they wanted God to bring justice on them? But here's the secret, saints. Here's the secret. I know you already see it, but you must embrace it. Get your minds around it, your heart around it. Here's what he said. He's he's in anguish about everything, and then he goes into the sanctuary. He gets alone with God. He empties himself. He surrenders everything, because this is the only way you're going to find out things like this. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terror. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. I want to stop there even though I had more to read from Psalm 73, even on the screen. Do you kind of get the idea what's happening? That you're un- you can't quite understand how all these wicked people in government and Hollywood, the athletes, we'll just begin with them because they're high-profile people, why they seem to succeed. and They don't seem on the surface to have the problems that you and me are having. They seem to get away Skate free of all these struggles and problems. This was the attitude that Israel had. This was the attitude Asaph had. This is the attitude many of us have. We're serving you, God. We're giving to you. We're worshiping you. We're praying to you. We're living to you. But if God really put the microscope on you and me, would he find a heart totally devoted to him? As I mentioned 11 times in, in Malachi 2, he said, you are not honoring my name in these other areas of worship, the other side of worship. But he remembered, hmm, God doesn't always bring justice in our time, but he will bring justice. I wouldn't trade shoes with one lost person. I sat down with a lost person recently this week and I shared with them, and he was sharing his problems, and was at a, a little small restaurant, and he was sharing with me, and I said, do you really, really want to hear what God has to say to you, or do you want me to okay and condone the decision that you're making? But before we get to that, can I ask you, if you died tonight, what would happen to you? He said, I'll go to hell. Right away, I realized everything I'm saying. It's the same thing God was saying to Israel. I'm trying to tell you the truth, but you want to do what you want to do. Your heart's far from me. You really don't want to honor my name. See, I want to make my name great through your life. I want to make my name great through your marriage. I want to make my name great through your family and through your children and your grandchildren because I'm building a kingdom of priests in heaven. The kingdom is already here, and the world needs to know my name is Yahweh, the Lord Almighty. I am great, and my throne is the throne of heaven and earth. He wants to do that. And when we deny that, how can we expect his favor, his ear, and justice? He's not going to bring justice in your time. Thank goodness he did not bring justice upon you and me, or we wouldn't be here. Or bring justice upon you in the middle of all your turmoil. You see, we're incompetent judges, and so were the Israelites, incompetent judges. See, they wanted to sit in the judge's seat. They were judging God about how he was running things down here on earth. And we already know they didn't have the facts. Jesus clearly told these types of individuals, they didn't know what they were talking about in Matthew 23. 
verse 2 and 3, you remember that famous chapter where he comes down hard on the leaders of Israel like he, he didn't come down hard on any group of sinners like he came down hard on the religious leaders. Why? Because they were supposed to be pointing people to heaven and they were pointing people to hell. Do you know that's happening today all across the world that people come into the churches and they're expecting, or maybe they're not, expecting that church, that leader, their doctrine to point them to God. Instead, they're pointing them to hell because they're watering down the word and they're not teaching the truth. But Matthew 23 says, the teachers of the law, that's the priests, that's the pastors, that's the professors in our seminaries, in our schools, perhaps it's you as a priest in your home, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Do what mom and daddy tells you to do, but don't do what we do. Go upstairs. You can't watch this movie. You see, don't do what we do. Do what we say. That's exactly what the Israelites were doing. That's exactly what the leadership of the country was doing when Jesus came. They sat in Moses' seat of judgments, and they were judging everybody to their standard, not God's standard. Do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. For they do not practice, they do not do the other side of worship. On Sunday, they look so beautiful. They smile, they take your money, but they're not practicing what they're telling you what to do. And then he continues in Matthew 23, verse 29. <laughs> I, I never recall in Scripture very few places where Jesus talked to sinners this way as he did to these religious leaders. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. <laughs> I, I can't imagine me saying that to some dignitary people that come here. Let's say I have an invitation for other preachers to come here and I speak this way, I bet you many of you would be appalled. Many of you might even leave the church. I would get a lot of emails from many of you and texts. Did you not know you offended those people? I'm never bringing anybody back to this church again. This is what Jesus did. He said, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, in the days of Moses, in the days of Elijah, or in the days of Elisha, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. See, it was their, their own people, their own leaders, their own Israelites that killed their own people, the messengers from God. So you testify against yourselves. You are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then. And complete what your ancestors started. Kill me. That's exactly what they would do. The very thing they wanted was justice. The very thing they wanted was the Messiah to come. The very thing they wanted was him to set up their kingdom. They got what they wished for. They killed the messengers and they killed the messenger of the covenant. They didn't practice what they preached. One more comment, you won't have it, but Acts 23, 2 said, as the church was taking off and 
the apostles were standing before these same people again. This continued on and on and on until God destroyed Jerusalem. At this time, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him in the mouth as they were testifying about God in front of the Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel. Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourselves violate the law by commanding that I be struck. They wanted justice, but did they really? Which brings me to what you wish you'll get. And so in chapter 3, he unravels the point that here's what I'm going to send you. You want justice, but I don't think you really want it. He begins in Matthew by reminding us about this subject, about judging. Do not judge, Matthew 7, or you too will be judged. You want justice? You want judgment? Okay. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Hmm, how many times have we sat in judgment of other people because of, of a particular sin they committed or a fault that they had? Or assess them improperly. Mm, you don't want to go there. Now, does, this is, that doesn't mean we can't judge things that are confronted, that we're confronted with. This is talk, talking about not having the facts. This is what he's talking about. So he tells them, you want justice? Okay, here's the thing that they got. A backlash from John the Baptist, verse 1. See, I will send my messenger, chapter 3, verse 1, who prepared the way before me. So, you want justice? It's going to begin with this. 400 years down the corridors of history, I'm going to send John the Baptist, and he's going to have a message you won't like because in his message, he's going to judge you. Now, the common people came out and listened to John the Baptist, and he said, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they repented. And all these religious leaders that Malachi is talking about, they rejected John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist have to say about them? You brood of vipers. You're coming out here? You want to get baptized? Are you looking at everyone else getting baptized? Hey, give evidence that you've repented before you're you get baptized. By the way, we're going to be having baptism after the service. You could be here today and you've not been baptized. Repent of your sins. Put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ right now alone. And now you can become a candidate for baptism. You see, they wanted justice. And God gave him justice in John the Baptist. When he sent John the Baptist, he lashed out at them. And he told them the truth. He even told the, the president or the king. Imagine me saying something about the president here. Oh, pastor, you're getting political. We need to preach a sermon about this separation of church and state. 
You see, God is the king of the universe, and he's already established his kingdom now, and you've bitten into a lie. When you believe you're supposed to keep your trap shut and let the world have its way, we're more than conquerors. We're supposed to implement justice. That's for another day and another sermon. Second thing, they got something they didn't want. He said, okay, I'm going to send you justice by the way of John the Baptist. And then notice in verse 1 and 2, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking, the Messiah, the table that you've set at the Passover and the seat that you set for him, this Messiah that you want, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Be careful what you wish for. You're going to get. And he said, the messenger of the covenant. Who's that? Yeshua. Whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus came. They rejected him. They killed the prophets, and now they kill the Son of God because he lashed out at them. Just read Matthew chapter 23 and listen in to all the things he had to say to most of all the religious leaders, not every single religious leader. I always want to remind you, saints, the church was established by the Jewish people. We wouldn't have a church if it wasn't for the brave, strong people that feared and loved God and started the churches all over the world. And then the Gentiles began to come in. So just always remember that. But for the most part, the leadership rejected Jesus as the Son of God. You said you want him. Here he is. And they, Jesus told the truth. He revealed their hearts. They didn't like him. They didn't like his brand of justice. So they brought their brand of justice to him. And they had him killed. Kind of reminds me of human beings, how we are, why we would never want to trust ourselves with judgment. Do you remember the story of Jonah? I, I, because of time, I, I will, will skip over that. I had a lot of scripture on that. Remember, God told me to go preach to the Ninevites, you know, the Syrians that they hated. And he said, I want you to preach destruction. And he didn't want to go. And long story short, when he finally ended up going, he sat down and kind of sat under a shade tree and waited for God to bring justice. He wanted them destroyed. He hated, he hated the Ninevites. God didn't bring destruction. They repented of their sins, and he was furious and mad because of that. That's why you never trust judgment to yourself, or to the church, or to anybody else but to God. Because even as a saint, we may desire the wrong thing. Remember the apostles? <laughs> they were walking with Jesus. Remember the first time Jesus went through Samaria? He did a miracle, and they all came out to see him, and he cast out the demons, and, and, and then the demons asked, could we go inside the pigs? And, and, and Jesus permitted that, and then all the pigs got killed. That was, their, that was their inventory. That was their Amazon of that day, and they needed that food to eat, and, and they were mad. So he came back through that town again. They didn't want Jesus in that town at all. And here's where it picks up in Luke 9. He said, as the time approached to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead and went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people did not welcome him because, because he was heading for Jerusalem. They were jealous. They were called half-breeds. 
And he said, when the disciples, James and John, saw this rejection of Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? How many times have you wanted that to happen to your enemies? But Jesus turned around them and rebuked them like he did Peter. And then he and his disciples went to another village. You see, we don't have the wherewithal to judge. That's why we entrust all judgment to him. And the Father says he's entrusted all judgment to Yeshua, the Messiah. Be careful what you wish for. They got John the Baptist and they got Jesus. But now here's the last thing I want to say. Be careful what you wish for because it's not what you really want. Because remember when Jesus prophesied in Isaiah 61, he told them the good news about what he was going to do when he came to earth as the Messiah just before he died on the cross. Everybody liked that. But really in the same breath or in the same verses, he talked about justice and judgment. And God does that often, and he did that in these verses right here. He speaks about his first coming to bring salvation, but he also talks about the judgment that he's going to bring. And he begins in verse 3. Actually, it begins in verse 2. But who can endure... The day of his coming. Who can stand when he appears? For he would be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, that's the religious leaders, the pastors, the teachers in the seminaries, the professors, even you as a priest of the home. He's going to clean you up. And he's going to separate the real Levites from the imposters, the real pastors from the fakes, the real people who say, I love God, and those who don't. Then he continues, he said, I will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Don't just project this into the very end of time. I'm learning in my, in my learning how much I really don't know, but always when God speaks about the end of time, don't put your Gentile mind to work. He's talking about the end of time of Israel and the end of age of Israel. We must first make a beeline for that and interpret Scripture in context of that, that he's going to destroy Israel, the nation whereby he wanted to make his name known to the world, and then he would begin to make his name known through the merging of the Jew and the Gentile, the church. So he continues to say, so I will come near to you for judgment. So... Be careful what you wish for. Well, they're going to get judgment. Now, Christian, there's two types of judgment. I'm not sure you're aware of this. You may be aware of this. I remember sharing this with my secretary who helps me put this on the screen for you to see and enjoy. I said, do you know what the Bema seat in the great white throne judgment is? And she said, no. And many of us don't know that or I didn't know it at one time. But what judgment seat do you think you want to be at? Would you like to be at the great white throne? Sounds very interesting, doesn't it? Or would you like to be at the Bema seat? 
Would you like me to explain that to you briefly? I will be briefer. The Bema Seats. The Bema Seats is when Christ comes the second time. Yahweh, whom they rejected, will have the messenger of his covenant, which is Yeshua, whom they rejected, will be their judge. But first comes the Bema Seat judgment. The Bema Seat judgment is this. I'll explain it a little in found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You might want to make a note of that, underline it, and highlight it. This is the judgment you want to be at. You don't want to miss this. He's already judged you for your sins. You're not going to stand before God Almighty and Yeshua for the sins that you've committed because God judged Jesus on your behalf. And if you put your confidence and faith in him alone, you will now be a child of God, baptized into the family of God, passed from life unto death. Heaven is secure. But here's what you will be judged for. Let me read it. So we will make it our goal, Paul said, to please him, whether at home or in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a good thing. You want to be there. You want to be present and accounted for. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's why we preach the gospel to you. So you'll get busy serving the Lord. So he said, invest treasures in the kingdom of God where the thief cannot steal and the moth can't corrupt your investment. God didn't save you just so you can get married, so you can buy a house and drive a nice car and have a retirement. That's not why he saved you. Or so you can sit like a bump on the log in the church. He has work to do through you. He has work to do through the church. He has work to do through your marriage. He has work to do through raising your kids. And that is to tell them about God Almighty and about eternity. He wants us to do that. And we will be rewarded for it. One more thing I want to say about that. It's always been my heartbeat as a pastor to remind you that being a great saint isn't coming to church and doing something in the church, although that's part of it. Real worship is pointing people to God and how you do business with your customers, how you treat your employees, how you treat your bosses. How you drive your car down the road, how you play a sport, what you invest your money in. You may think that has nothing to do with being rewarded, but it does. How you treat your wife, how you treat your husband. You'll be rewarded for it because it's through that oneness that people will either see the glory of God or they won't. I believe a lot of people don't believe us because we don't act any different than the people of the world. If we did, what we had to say may bring them to their knees. So perhaps we might need a tune-up. God is asking the Israelites through his messenger Malachi, if you'll listen, I'll turn those curses and do blessings, and Jacob's going to bring that next week to you. It's true. He said, I will turn the curses into a blessings. I'll open the windows of heaven if you'll pay attention to what I'm teaching you through my servant Malachi. Start loving me like you're supposed to. Start bringing a good offering and not a cheap offering. Start living for me in your marriages. 
in your home, in your jobs. That's real worship. That's the other side of worship. I'm going to judge you how you did that. I'm going to reward you how you did that. Not because you came to church, went to Sunday school, gave your money. You will be judged for that. But most of our rewards will come how we lived outside the four walls of this church, correct? How you doing? How you doing on that? He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's nothing else to look for, Jewish people. There's no Messiah coming, and if he comes, you'll not be able to prove his, his bloodline all the way back through David, through Abraham, all the way back to Adam. The records have been destroyed. Jerusalem has been destroyed. You'll never be able to find out whether he was the real Messiah because the Messiah has already come. So you can't build on any other foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, stubble, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the Bema Seat Judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. What kind of offering did you bring to God? What kind of marriage did you bring to God? What kind of children did you bring to God? Did you teach them to be successful only, or did you, do, did you teach them to be saints, to serve a risen Savior, to marry in the Lord and raise godly kids? He said, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will... Listen here now, you who think that you might lose your salvation. If what has been built survives, the builder, or he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet he will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. I've heard some people say, well, I'm just glad I made it to heaven. I can't imagine standing before God who was brutally beaten on your behalf and my behalf, who hung there on a tree and died on your behalf, and God judged him on your behalf, and we accepted that. And we went home on our merry way and didn't warn anybody else of the judgment to come. Kind of reminded me of Jacob and I. We were praying this week, and Jacob was praying. I hope I don't rat on him a little bit. Well, thank God that this hurricane was steered away from us, Lord. And he started cracking up laughing, and we all started laughing in the middle of a prayer meeting. That it kind of sounded like he was saying, oh, thank you. We escaped it, but go ahead, Lord. Let them have the, let them have the brunt of the, of, of the hurricane. Can you imagine us not warning the people, a hurricane's coming your way, Fort Myers or the rest of middle Florida? Ah, we made it. We're free and we can rest. Unconcerned about what's going to happen in the next hour or next day in Florida where some of your family members are and perhaps maybe even lost a loved one. That's exactly what God's saying to us. You've been saved I've given you everything. God said, what have I held from you? I gave you my only son. Why Why is your heart so far from me? Why are you not living for me? Why are you not honoring my name? If you will seek me, I promise I'll lift the curse from you and I will bless you. I'm going to judge you and reward you 
based on what you did for me and did you have the right motive? That's the Bema seat. I'll end with this last passage. See, they, they didn't want to hear that because they're not going to be there. These people that he's talking to that were rebelling against him, these Pharisees and Sadducees who rebelled against him, they wanted justice. Well, guess what? They're going to get it, and here's what it is. It's the great white throne judgment spelled out in Revelation. Notice in verse 5 he said again, For I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against. And he gives a little laundry list of sins. It's not limited to this, but does include these sins. Sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud labors of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, in Matthew 12, 30, he said, he who is with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. There's no middle ground. There's no, we learned when I was in a particular faith and religion, there's no purgatory. I always thought I was going to go to purgatory. Anybody ever thought that? I, I'm going to purgatory. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I might be in purgatory a million years, but one day I'll get out. But there's no purgatory. There's either heaven with God or hell away from God. And so he said in James 4, 4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if you're not in Christ today, you need to know that there is a very real, if you're listening and online, there's a very real consequence that awaits those who reject him. And Malachi is warning the Israelites of this. And we glean from this, he's warning us today, a judgment is coming, and it's going to be swift. And this is the passage I'll read in Revelation 20. This is something they got that they did not want, and they did not want to hear. And they're already experiencing it today. He said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. This is to all the pastors and preachers and professors and rabbis who try to explain this away, but nevertheless, it is written. It is written, as God said, it is written, and so it will be. He said, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, I grew up 
to fear. That was a good thing and a bad thing. And um, I feared a lot, and I had to overcome that in my life. And I've explained that to some of you. I, I feared jumping out of a plane, and finally, after three months of torture, I said, I'm better dead than alive, so let me go jump out of the plane with my wife, as I was a chicken, but the man in me wanted to jump out. I, I feared. I had to battle fear. But here's how fear has worked for the good for me and may work for the good for you. God said, this is wisdom, that you fear God. That you can fear what he can do with you after man is finished with you. Fear him who has the ability to throw you into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That's the bad news. If your name is not written in the book of life, this is your destiny. This is what ASAP learned. This is something that the Malachi hearers didn't know about. This is something that many in our generation don't know about. I remember in seminary, my across the hall sweet couple where my wife and I stayed, he was going to be a preacher. And he told me he didn't believe in hell. I said, how are you preaching the gospel if you don't believe in hell? What are you doing here? You know, I, was, I always took it upon myself to challenge these guys. He said, well, I'm not going to be preaching in the pulpits. I'm just going to the hospitals, and I'm going to be consoling them. They're nearer to the deathbed than anybody else. They need to hear about heaven and hell more than anybody else, right? That's back in 1983 and 84. That kind of thinking has permeated our churches all across the world where they don't preach on hell. Mom and daddy don't teach about heaven and hell and about the awful hurricane that's coming in their lives. And it's going to be worse than Ian. It's going to destroy everything, including them. The good news, there's time to prepare, just like they tell you to prepare for a hurricane. That judgment is coming as sure as the sun rises every morning. And if you're here today, and your heart's hard, but now it's starting to give just a little bit. Open it up. The Bible says, open it up while you have time. That guy I witnessed to, I said, I wouldn't trade shoes with you for all the money in the world. Because I don't know if today or tomorrow, if you died, what would happen to you? If you die tonight, that's the second death without Jesus Christ. You will be in hell forever. Screaming and crying out, wishing you would have said yes today to Jesus. You have your chance today. If you will say to yourself, I believe what the pastor is saying. I believe that Yahweh, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. I believe you sent your only son into the world to die on my behalf. He was perfect. He is God in the flesh. And yet he died on a tree. He was totally innocent, never committing one sin. And God poured out his wrath on him instead of you and me. He said, if you'll look to Jesus, and the Jewish people were familiar with that because of the serpent in the wilderness. They knew all about Moses and they knew about the snake that was biting everyone and killing everyone. And he put a serpent up on a pole and Moses told them, whoever looks at that pole will live. And they were cured. And God said, if you'll look upon my son who hung there on a tree and believe that he's the son of God, I will forgive you of every single rebellion you've done against me I will wipe the slate clean I will adopt you as my child I'll make you a home in heaven and I'll not deny you before the Father in heaven if you make that decision today the 
Let's just take 30 seconds. I'm not going to plead or beg. If you aren't convinced by now, if the Holy Spirit hasn't told you to do that, if you're looking in online, you can write in the tag section the decision that you're making and someone will get, get with you. If you're making that decision today, I'll know you've made it. You know why? You're going to come forward and say, you know, I just made the decision for Jesus and you're going to have baptism after the service. I'm going to get baptized. Or perhaps you're here today and one of the first things God asks you to do when you get saved is to do what? Is to get baptized. And you haven't done it yet. You're disobedient. You're giving to God. You're coming to church. You're singing. You're praising Him. You think you're worshiping Him. And God's saying, the first thing I asked you to do after you got saved, you're, you're rebelling against me again. That's what you used to do. And there, by the way, there have been many people who got saved who, who balked at this first request from Jesus. Identify yourself with me. Identify yourself with me. If you will not identify yourself with me because of your friends, your mom and dad, your co-workers, your neighbors, guess what? I got news for you. When you stand before my father and claim you knew me, I'm going to deny that I ever knew you. And I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And he's talking about people who so-called did things in his name. Can't you hear the Holy Spirit telling you, make that decision today? Would you stand, please, with me? Saints are praying. Remember, this is a time to pray. That God will permeate this place with his love and convicting power and convincing power that Yeshua is the son of the living God. No man cometh to the Father. No one will live with the Father unless he comes through Yeshua. That's what the scripture teaches. It's not an American religion. It's the scripture. If you make that decision today, God will accept you. Make it publicly known. And you come outside, we'll give you a towel. We'll give you a shirt. I even got some shorts in my room. They expand wide and small. You can put them on or you can just wear the shorts you want. I remember when I got saved, I didn't care. Just do, I don't care if the water was cold or hot. I'm going to get baptized because I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. Justice. Be careful what you wish for. You may get something you don't. But if you wish for grace, he'll also give that to you today. Would you respond to what God's saying in your heart this morning? Would you come? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.